with no shortage of stories to discuss with the panel and the legislature sitting next week. We will chat with Vancouver Sun's Vaughn Palmer and BC Today's Shannon Waters. Later on the show, Kamloops South MLA and Community Affairs critic Todd Stone will join us. For Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Radio NL News Director Shane Woodford. Good morning and welcome. Thanks for tuning in. It's a lovely day here in Kamloops and always great to finish off the week uh, by chatting with Vaughn Palmer and Shannon Waters. No Keith Baldry today. Uh, he apparently is taking a vacation, which I am still struggling to believe that's something he actually does. It may be the first one he's taken in about 30 years. So. <laughs> what does Global do with all that built-up vacation time? I Wow. Uh, guys, uh, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, why don't we start with the money laundering? We knew Peter German was going to launch a phase two. We knew it was going to be real estate focused. We got a better sense of the scope of, of this second phase of the money laundering investigation. Maybe a bit of a surprise yesterday was the Ministry of Finance also jumping in to investigate what Carol James called possible market manipulation. Uh, Vaughn, as we digest the news from yesterday, uh, what do you think? Well, we've got two things going on here. You're right. The Ministry of Finance uh, released a report showing that, uh, with, a, with a strong recommendation, that the province's three regulators be combined into one. So you've got the superintendent of real estate, the real, uh, the real estate council, and the financial regulator, and essentially a report that says, look, there's, there's overlap, there's turf wars, what you need to do is put them all together and recognize that because of gaps in enforcement, uh, money launderers may be taking advantage of it. So that's the first thing, and I think that's pretty straightforward and, you know, I think probably necessary. Uh, the other one is EB has uh, put uh, Peter German back on retainer to do a essentially a money laundering investigation into the real estate sector, horse racing, and the sale of luxury cars. And I guess I have a bit of a problem there because EB continues to give the impression that money laundering has distorted the real estate market in Vancouver. And I don't think he has the evidence of that. Peter German said that about $10 million a year in money laundering through the casinos. Well, the Metro Vancouver real estate market is $50 billion a year. So that is like, what, two-tenths of one percent of the entire market? Mm. The market is 5,000 times larger than the amount of money laundering. And so I don't think he's got the proof that it is. It I'm not saying money laundering is okay. What I'm saying is I don't think he's made the case that it is distorting the real estate market in Vancouver. Yeah, it's an interesting point. We'll circle back to that one in a second. I definitely want to touch on that. But what jumped out about the announcement yesterday to you, Shannon? Well, it was definitely interesting to see the Ministry of Finance getting involved and looking at sort of overhauling the regulations and, as Vaughn said, the structure, the way sort of we keep an eye on the, on the real estate markets. Um, we knew that there was going to be another step in this money laundering review. Edie was very clear about that, even, I believe, in announcing that they were going to do the review of money laundering in casinos, that the government had reason to believe that there was a lot more going on than simply what was happening in casinos. And certainly the dirty money report, which we got in March, was an eye-opener. Um, some very colorful scenarios there. Evie's talked very often about, you know, bags of cash just showing up at the cashier's cage in these casinos. So I have a feeling that when we get both of these reports from the Ministry of Finance and from um, the Attorney General, well, from Peter German through the Attorney General's office next March, that we are going to also have some very interesting revelations about 
what's been going on in the real estate market here in the province. Yeah. Uh, now let's talk about uh, Vaughn's earlier point. Uh, it's worth mentioning that this second phase that Peter German is launching in on is another fact-finding endeavor, which means it's not a fault-finding one. We know what the sort of fallout was from phase one, which is he found a lot of stuff going wrong in casinos, and to this day people are clamoring for some kind of blame, some kind of legality to fall on someone's head. Uh, Vaughn, you made the argument that you don't think the scope is there, but I do believe if I remember the initial Peter German press conference after phase one, that he did find some leakage into the housing markets among others. Yeah, he found some leakage, but you know, the, the maximum number he gave us was his estimate, $100 million of money laundering over 10 years. That's $10 million bucks a year. Uh, a lot of money, except when you look at the size of the real estate market and realize that that's not what's distorting the real estate market. There's there's other things. So, you know, I, I keep wondering with EB, he keeps, uh, he's going to launch something and we're going to get to the bottom of it this time if he's not doing more playing politics with this than actually trying to slam the door on money laundering. Um, the only way, the only way anybody's ever going to be held to account for money laundering is not a public inquiry. It is criminal investigation and criminal charges yeah and i don't see how what he's doing here actually actually moves that forward at all and my question too is uh let's say that they do find something whatever that scale is uh let's pull a number out of the air let's say they find 42 houses that have been bought up or flipped or all through the the proceeds of crime uh what happens then um, you know, if it's a fact-finding mission, great, we've, we've figured this out, but then what, Shannon? Well, you turn, you turn that information over to the police, and they lay charges, and they can seize the property. Uh, I mean, money laundering is against the law. It's just difficult to prove. German himself said you'd need a team of forensic accountants to track down even one dollar trail for money laundering, and that's the obstacle that police face in actually prosecuting these cases. Yeah, Shannon? And Evie did mention that there are two ongoing investigations yeah. by law enforcement right now that are somehow related to sort of the fact-finding mission that was done regarding money laundering in casinos. He wouldn't say anything further on that front. Um, and, I mean, we waited a long time for the dirty money report because the attorney general said, look, we have to make sure we're not going to compromise any, you know, investigations that are, are currently going on. Um, when we release this information. So, you know, it, I can understand people's frustration at being like, okay, just talking about the fact that this is an issue and pointing out, you know, where the problems lie is not really, really particularly satisfying, um, you know, when there is potential for, you know, say distortion of the real estate market or as Evie pointed out saying, you know, money laundering is not a victimless crime. And there are some indicators that potentially it is tied to the drug trade and therefore the overdose crisis that the province is experiencing. Yeah. I wonder, uh, and part of maybe the point you're trying to make, Vaughn, is I wonder part of that is the, the public expectation, the hunger that's out there, especially in the lower mainland, where people are struggling with out-of-control rent, out-of-control housing prices, the housing market that's just insane. Uh, I wonder if there's still this public expectation that there's a silver bullet, you know, be it uh, money laundering, be it uh, foreign nationals, whatever the thing is. And maybe that expectation uh, is more than any probe can actually bear. Yeah, I mean, the New Democrats do point out that they have a 30-point plan to deal with housing affordability. They're not doing just one thing. And I think as we look at it more closely, I think 
we will see that factors like housing density, the housing supply, uh, even stuff like interest rates and ability to borrow money and all that have all been major factors. Uh, yes, uh, foreign buyers is going to be an issue, but a lot of the foreign buyers are legitimate. They're allowed. They're legal. And in fact, as you know, the, the New Democrats have rejected the advice from the Greens that we ban foreign ownership yeah. real estate in B.C. So, you know, I think, look, it's easy to go around and say it's all money laundering or it's a big factor. We don't actually know if it's a big factor yet. And I suppose, perhaps, we'll see. German will finally provide us at least with an answer on that score. Uh, Shannon, what did you think of this this expert panel that's going to be chaired, Maureen Maloney, who seems to be uh, something of a, of a renowned legal expert uh, and somebody whose name is well-known in the legal community? She's chairing it. I'm not sure who else is on the panel, but uh, as far as this market manipulation goes from Carol James, uh, what do you expect out of that panel and the people on it? Well, they haven't announced the names yet. I don't believe the finance minister said those would be coming soon. Um, again, we're looking at sort of where are the gaps in the regulatory framework. This is something that um, Carol James blamed on the Liberal government, said they allowed you know the housing market here in the province to become the Wild West. Um, so we're going to see them look at the structures and, as Vaughn had pointed out, the fact that there seems to be sort of conflicting responsibilities and arguments about who's supposed to be doing what and who's responsible for which aspect of regulation. Something else that James pointed out is that there are potentially gaps when it comes to provincial regulations and requirements around reporting on real estate transactions, etc. There are differences between what the province requires and what the feds require, and that that may also be leading to potentially some exploitation by um, individuals looking to launder illicit, illicit cash or simply to manipulate the, um, the housing market. Vaughn, I was curious what you thought of Mr. Eby's uh, comment uh, concerning those money laundering documents he's trying to crowbar out of the Liberals. We're aware of the situation to date, but he seemed to indicate that there was an openness there to hand over whatever the Liberals might have. Uh, and been, out, uh, been reached out to Mike DeYoung and people and staff are standing by to receive these documents. Uh, what would you make of that? Well, I asked him, you know, if he has, a, he, he called for the liberals to lift, to waive cabinet privilege on these documents. I asked him if he had a list of the documents, because it would be interesting to know exactly how many documents he's talking about, and have they been identified and all that. And he said, well, they're working at making up a list. So, you know, which, which suggests to me that when he issued the call, he didn't even know if there were any. Yeah. Um, they're now putting together a list, and he... When he has the list, he will send the list to Mike DeYoung, who was the Attorney General uh, uh, and Finance Minister, uh, both in the last government, and ask DeYoung to essentially, are you going to waive cabinet confidentiality on this? I think to get it out of the political realm, it would be best to turn those documents over to a judge and let the judge decide if the documents would help in such things as an investigation of money laundering. But. We haven't got to that yet. <laughs> you know, right now, the, right now, honestly, we don't even know how many documents there are or if there are any. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think we're all sort of aware of the political game there to try and uh, pin the tail on the BC Liberals on that one. Uh, also curious, just to finish off this line of questioning, Shannon, I'm also curious, uh, caught my eye, the, the EB continues to sort of dangle the public inquiry, not really committing, not really saying no, the door is open, the possibility is there. I often wonder if he's just kind of dangling that string in front of you know a public that is obviously angry and wants to see somebody fall for this, uh, just to kind of keep them calmed down that it might be a possibility. But I'm not entirely sure we're ever going to see something like that i don't know that we are either now eb did mention that um fred pinnock who led the rcmp's sort of money laundering and gaming investigative team has spoken with a government lawyer now um he had alleged that sort of efforts to to look into money laundering and to deal with what they were finding were blocked by the government and by senior members of the RCMP. So some very serious allegations. He said he was willing, you know, to go on the record. Um, and so he has spoken to a government lawyer, and government lawyers are now doing their due diligence, as the attorney general said, and will be briefing cabinet sometime in the coming weeks, supposedly. And Evie basically said, you know, once we have that information, once we've heard what Pinnock has to say, then we'll kind of make a decision around whether or not we are going to pursue a public inquiry. So, again, we're still going to be waiting, and I kind of feel similarly to you. I'm not sure that it's something that's ever actually going to happen. And, of course, money laundering, not the only news uh, from the political sphere that's due with housing. The province also acting on the rental increases side. We'll discuss that with Vaughn and Shannon here on Inside Politics right after this. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. Accountable to you for Kamloops Computer Center. This is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL. Good morning and welcome back. Well, barely a week after news of a 4.5% rental increase hit and caused a pretty severe reaction, the province moving quickly to change the formula, uh, capping that 4.5% now to 2.5%, tying rent increases to inflation, as well as essentially trying to uh, put a system in place where landlords will have to prove that uh, the renovations and work they're doing on a unit uh, outweighs the amount of money that they're making off of it in order to provide a proof that they need to hike the rent. Uh, Vaughn, uh, we talked to, that this was probably a pretty heavy possibility on last week's show, and in here it is. What do you think? Well, long overdue, I think a lot of renters would say they've been paying some pretty big increases the last few years, and so it goes to the government's issue of affordability. It, it's often a problem in government that when you solve a problem over here, another one pops up over there, like whack yeah. all uh, The issue they have to deal with now is that the Democrats want to um, improve the vacancy rate in rental housing and have more rental housing brought onto market. And you're hearing from landlords and developers that by capping the amount of money they can make from the property, they are just the government is effectively discouraging the development of more rental housing and perhaps even encouraging developers, owners of existing buildings, to convert to condos because they can make more money off condos now than they can make off rental property. Yeah, and I think the Liberals made the same point. The question now is, Shannon, do they have a valid one? Do we think that that will be the fallout? I don't know, and I have to say that as a renter, I definitely appreciate not having my <laughs> rent go up by 4.5% yeah. next year. Um, when it comes to the supply of purpose-built rentals, I think that's something that we're going to have to wait and see what happens. I mean, um, there's been some discussion that at least one developer, I believe he was in Vancouver, had said, well, I have, you know, I've got this project that I was going to 
build that was going to be rentals, and now I'm just going to make it into condos because I can make more money off it. Um, Spencer Chandra Herbert, who's the chair of the Rental Housing Task Force, said that when he spoke with landlords and developers in Manitoba and Ontario, both of whom tie rent increases to inflation and allow uh, landlords to apply for further increases, um, Chandra Herbert has said that both of those provinces have seen an uptick in rental housing stock since they put in place um, those rental increases. Then you heard Dave Hutniak from Landlord BC saying, well, maybe the rental stock has gone up for larger sort of property management corporations, et cetera, but smaller landlords are struggling with sort of the Byzantine bureaucracy of applying to get these additional increases even when they are eligible for them because the money is needed. So, I mean, I... I think the government really sort of had to do something because yeah. there were just so many renters who were so angry about the fact that their rent went up by 4% last year. It went up by, I believe, about 3.8% the year before that, and then it was going to be 4.5%. Like, that's just as uh, our housing minister, Selena Robinson, said, it's just too much for renters to bear. Yeah, and you consider the, the increases uh, not just in housing housing costs, but rent as well in the last decade. It's pretty hard to drum up a case to feel sorry for landlords. And I speak as one. Uh, so, and, I, and the other side of that too is is capping the rent hike. Yeah, welcome. But uh, is it going to be again a magic bullet to solve the the really ferocious problems renters are having down the Lower Mainland specifically? Again, no. It's probably more like throwing a rock at an avalanche, fun. Well, yes. And look, the decision to build a, a building. Uh, full of rental units, or for that matter, a, a building full of condominiums or any other housing project is going to be affected by a lot more than just this. What I'm starting to hear is if you put together all the things our new Democrats are doing in terms of regulatory change and taxes and combine in rising interest rates and, you know, the fragility of the Canadian economy and the possibility of the housing bubble will bust, you're probably going to see a drop in housing starts over the next few years anyway. And in the political realm, we'll blame that. The politicians will blame it on each other or various factors. But this is going to be part of the picture. And, you know, in a couple of years, I'm not sure what the New Democrats have done so far is really going to affect housing affordability unless we see some very dramatic moves They've done things on the demand side. Now they have to do something on the supply side. We haven't seen those moves yet. They may be waiting till after the civic election. It's a controversial issue in a lot of towns, whether you go to heavy density and all that. But I think they are going to have to take some dramatic moves on the supply side, and we haven't seen those yet. Have you guys seen the picture that was making the circuit uh, this week about uh, the lineup outside the city of Vancouver's sort of uh, the office you go to, to get permits and apply for permits, et cetera? It was pretty crazy. Have you seen it? Oh, haven't seen it. Okay, uh, I will. I'll send it to you, Vaughn. But it's really interesting. It has a whole line goes down for about I don't know forty feet from the office door outside the, to the street, and people have just put down briefcases. They put down their rolls of plans just to save their spot in this lineup to either you know keep the permit process going or apply for one. It gives you a little snapshot of uh, how difficult it is to get that whole process going, which speaks to the supply side. Uh, just a final thought from both of you. I'm just curious, considering the sort of political pressure, the rent increase. The 
brought on. Uh, the fact that this rental task force isn't going to submit its final report into November. Any sense of uh, how rushed these recommendations were this week, Shannon? Well, it definitely seemed like a bit of, you know, this is an emergency. This is something we have to do now. Spencer Chander Herbert said when he was making the recommendation for the rent cap that they, the task force needed to make the recommendation um, this week because the government needed to be able to move um, before October 1st in order to reduce, um, to remove that extra 2% that landlords were able to charge. When it comes to the rest of the recommendations, I mean, I don't know. The task force has been sitting for a while now. I would say that I don't know that the um, that the decision to change the formula was rushed. That was something that has been previously discussed um, by both the government and the task force. So I think that was something that you know has been discussed both with landlords and with tenants. That was something that Chandra Herbert stressed. That was something that. The premier stressed when he was asked, you know, why didn't you just come out and say we're going to change the rental formula? You knew the possibility of a 4.5% rent increase based on that formula introduced by the Liberals. And he said we needed to take the time, you know, to ensure that we are protecting renters, but also to ensure that we weren't sort of unjust <coughs> punishing landlords. So I, I think they've taken some time on this. I'm interested to see what else the task force recommends. All right. Final word to you, Vaughn. Rushed? Yeah, they didn't deal with the formula last year. It went up 4% for this year, so this is for next year's increase. I think the other thing is they had a political problem. They promised a $400 uh, relief package every year for renters, and the Greens wouldn't back them in it, so they couldn't do it. So they had to do something else, and this is what they did. Uh, I mean, the decision was made in September based on a formula that was in place when they took office last year. So, in a sense, they should have known it was coming, but the actual coming of it and then the backlash over the $400 meant they had to get the report out early. All right, uh, a lot more to talk to uh, Vaughn and Shannon about. Uh, we'll take a quick break, get caught up to the news at the bottom of the hour here on Inside Politics, and we'll rejoin our conversation after that. Radio NL, radionl.com, local news now. Accountable to you for Kamloops Computer Center, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford on Radio NL. Good morning. We're talking to Vaughn Palmer and Shannon Waters. Guys, we touched on this last week, but it uh, sounds like, according to media reports, Bloomberg and others, LNG Canada is set for a final investment decision next week. Uh, we don't know if they're going to say yes or no, but some reports heavily speculating towards leaning yes, which presents a pretty interesting situation for the Premier, who obviously uh, wants and needs the economic investment. On the other hand, uh, he places a pretty big challenge on, on the environmental front with his climate action plan to be tabled in the legislature in this sitting and of course then you factor in mr weaver fun well first of all the rumblings you're right are that we're going to get a yes uh, out of shell headquarters in the netherlands perhaps as early as monday all the all the industry leanings are that way so that's fantastic news for british columbia if that project's going ahead that's uh, what 36 billion dollar investment in an lng terminal a chance to diversify our markets so we're not entirely captured by the new democrats the pipeline is another four or five billion dollars there's a lot of first nation support there so it's all to the good for british columbia and yes uh, john horgan would get to do a victory lap although in fair I think we'd say the Liberals deserve some credit for doing some of the heavy lifting. You're right, there's a political dilemma here. Andrew Weaver has said that he doesn't believe that LNG development can be reconciled with the province's 
greenhouse gas reduction targets. Uh, Horgan says they can, and that George Heyman, the environment minister, will be presenting a report to that effect to the legislature when it sits this fall. So I guess we'll see, and we'll see if Weaver really can bring down the government over this. I think, first of all, you know, Weaver's got three votes, but on this one, I can't imagine the Liberals voting to kill LNG. No. You know, I mean, they might very well want an election, but I don't think they want an election on this issue. No, I agree. Uh, I was caught by uh, the Premier saying, what was it, I think the words he used, where they could fold the emissions into the Climate Action Plan and was confident they could uh, make <laughs> make that whole thing work. I could imagine Andrew Weaver somewhere going absolutely ballistic hearing that, Shannon. <laughs> Yes, and I spoke with Andrew Weaver on Monday, and I asked him about, you know, we were talking about the upcoming fall session, and I asked him about LNG. He, he and his party have described it as a line in the sandwich they will not cross, and he reiterated to me that that is exactly how he feels, that there is no way that the government can sort of shoehorn an emission-heavy LNG industry into the climate plan and meet the targets that are agreed upon, and it's not something the Greens will support. He said it goes against everything that they stand for. Now, something else that I found interesting is Weaver doesn't believe that the final investment decision is going to be sort of as ironclad in terms of of pushing the project forward, as maybe people are saying. He doesn't seem to feel that the project is actually going to get the green light, that once Shell makes an investment decision, it's going to have to get all of its various partners on board. And for whatever reason, Weaver doesn't feel that that is necessarily going to happen or that it's going to happen as quickly as as people are anticipating. Now, I also spoke with Andrew Wilkinson about whether his party would consider supporting the NDP in this, given, you know, the work that the previous Liberal government had done to launch an LNG industry. And he basically said, we'll vote on the merits of sort of whatever plan the NDP puts forward, and we will need to see that, you know, British Columbia is getting good jobs um, is going to be one of the focuses uh, for them in terms of whether or not they decide to support the project. So it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out and who ends up aligning with who on the issue. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to shoehorn in a couple more issues here before we have to say goodbye to you guys. Uh, uh, an interesting situation this week. Andrew Wilkinson challenging the Premier to a one-on-one debate on proportional representation. Uh, there's a couple things at play here. Uh, one, I was caught by sort of the shades. Uh, that you could, so it was almost like the money laundering document thing the NDP sprung in some ways in order to sort of back the government into a corner and make a little bit of political hay. But on the other side, uh, I think this is a, a referendum campaign that's not on a whole lot of people's radar and, and a debate from, from a public education perspective or an awareness perspective, uh, I think it's not entirely a bad idea, Vaughn. Yeah, look, there's merit in having a debate on this, and I think it's evident in the Angus Reid poll that's out overnight. The Reid organization essentially found British Columbians split three ways. Uh, About a third of us want first-past-the-post to stick with the status quo. A third would like to switch to PR. And a third haven't made up their minds, don't know enough, or are undecided. So I think there's an argument for a debate and more public education. You know, the ballots go out in three weeks. Um, Horgan's response to this was not outright rejection. He said he would like to debate Wilkinson, first of all, in the legislature, and he said he'd like to stay out of the way of municipal campaigns, which go on till the 20th, but he didn't rule out the idea of a debate. I think the political issue here that we haven't really addressed yet is Wilkinson wants a one-on-one debate with a premier, Yeah. but is Andrew Weaver not going to demand a seat at a, say, a televised debate? 
And that, of course, would mean a two-to-one gang-up, because mm-hmm. Weaver and, and Horgan both want uh, PR. So I don't think we've worked out the logistics of this thing yet, or sorted out all the political games, but I do think this poll that's out today shows that there is merit in our leaders talking more about this, because a huge number of British Columbians uh, don't know enough about this to make up their minds. Yeah, no, truly. Uh, by the way, I talked to, I put that question to Andrew Wilkinson uh, when he when he made the challenge, whether yeah, or not Andrew Weaver would be welcome, and he told me uh, that he's more than happy to have him join the debate, even though it was a mono-a-mono challenge. So uh, there you go on that front. Shannon? I can't lie. I would be interested um, to see Horgan and Wilkinson debate this. Now, those of us who are in the legislature or the very few people, I'm told, who actually read or watch Hansard did see (laughs) an hour-long emergency debate on the issue take place at the end of the spring session. Um... And I do think that from an awareness perspective in terms of people, you know, realizing that this is happening and that it is important, um, I think the debate could be valuable that way. I'm unconvinced that debates educate people. Um, I'm a former debater myself. In an informal debate, you are basically trying to score points against your opponent um, to make them look ridiculous or like they don't have their facts straight, like they're uninformed. I'm not convinced that it really does much to actually educate people about the issue. So I think the problem of public education is a separate one. Um, And as Vaughn points out, the Angus Reid poll shows that there could definitely be more of that. Um, I, but I can see the debate from an awareness perspective providing some value as well as, you know, a nice entertaining bit of political theater. Yeah, for sure. Uh, final thing, legislature sits for the fall session beginning next week. Uh, uh, what's on your radar as far as the issues or, or bills at play, uh, Vaughn? Well, the uh, poverty reduction plan has been promised. The speculation tax legislation mm, is one. promised. I ran into Mike Farnworth, the House leader, outside the ledge this week and he says he's got more stuff that people want to put on the agenda than he's got sitting days so we're going to be crowded we're going to be busy it's a six-week session wrapping up with a couple of breaks on november the 30th uh and look it's all going to be conducted against the backdrop of this referendum municipal election results the housing debate and all the other issues that the new democrats have started to deal with but haven't yet resolved shannon Yes, so there's definitely a lot going on, and Horgan said the same thing. You know, they've got more stuff on their agenda, and we're going to have days sitting in this upcoming session. Um, As somebody who follows the lobbyist registry quite closely, there are supposedly going to be more changes coming to um, the way lobbyists conduct themselves in the province. Um, That was something else that Weaver brought up when I had a conversation with him. He described the changes as good ones. Um, The poverty reduction strategy, as Vaughn mentioned, is something we've been waiting for for a while that was supposed to happen in the spring, and then it got pushed back. Um, The climate uh, clean growth strategy, there's there's a a lot of stuff to look forward to in this legislative session. And um, just on a final, maybe not quite so political note, they've also replaced all of the red carpets in the legislature. (laughs) So we now have these lovely plush red carpets rather than the rather threadbare ones um, we had when I first came into the ledge. Well, there we go. We have, uh, Jay, new guidelines for MLAs who wish to bring their infants into right. the chamber. Yeah. Oh, right. The patient of Michelle Mongal showing up with young Xavier 
Minister, who she showed off to the NDP caucus uh, this week, uh, Cabinet Minister, Energy Minister on leave, and I think everyone is geared up to go, ah, over that one. <laughs> it also keeps a valuable vote in place, too, I might point out. Uh, guys, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Shane. There we go. Vaughn Palmer, Vaughn Palmer and Shannon Waters. Uh, we'll look forward to chatting with them again next week here on Inside Politics. We'll take a quick break and finish off the show uh, with Camelot South MLA, Todd Stone in studio. Local News Now, Radio NL, 610 AM and RadioNL.com. From both sides of the floor, this is Inside Politics with Shane Woodford for Kamloops Computer Center on Radio NL. Good morning. Thank you for tuning in. We're in the home stretch here, and a uh, pleasure to welcome in the studio, Camelot South MLA, uh, Community Affairs Critic, Todd Stone. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Is it Community Affairs? It's uh, uh, Official Opposition Critic for Municipal Affairs. Municipal Affairs. Yeah. Well, community's close. Yeah, Give me a know, break I, on that. I, I, I prefer community. <laughs> but, I, but, I, but it's not my call. Yeah, right. Uh, okay, a couple of st- uh, couple issues I want to throw at you. First and foremost, Angus read out with a poll today. I know you're opposed to proportional representation. I know you've also been out and about in the community. So, uh, interesting results. Uh, about 30% say they're for, about 30% say they're not, and about 30% say, I don't have a clue what's going on. I'm not invested at all. Concerning? Yeah, yeah well, so I've been spending a lot of time in the constituency over the last uh, number of, of weeks uh, holding town halls. It was up in Nutsford last night, yeah. Westwold the other night, Chase, and so forth. Uh, number one uh, takeaway for me is uh, very few people even know that there's a referendum on. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I would suggest it's probably more than a third uh, of British Columbians have no clue that there's a, a referendum. And so, uh, you know, I think I think our, the job for all of us, whether you support uh, a change or or support the status quo, uh, is to educate the public that there is an important vote coming up and that it's a civic responsibility that we all have. Yeah. Uh, nothing is more important than how we elect our MLAs. So educate yourself and make sure that you participate in this process and vote. How do we how do we increase the awareness though? Because it's an issue that's been raised by some municipal politicians. Uh, I talked to Elections BC. They just say, okay, we have a legislative mandate provincially around awareness. We do not have one municipally. So is it time to address that? Well, I, I, look, I, I think it's unfortunate uh, uh, that the referendum campaign is laid uh, right on top of a municipal campaign. There's, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people focused on on October twentieth and and uh, who their mayor and councillor or their area director is going to be. Yeah. Uh, I, I I would suggest that I think that was a you know a deliberate um, uh, a deliberate decision that the, that the NDP government made. Uh, I'm not sure that they want people to to be as as engaged in this process as uh, as I think that people should be. Uh, so I'm doing my, I'm doing what I can. I mean, there's very, very restrictive uh, uh, requirements, uh, uh, rules around, uh, you know, who can advertise, right. and who, even 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 putting a Facebook paste, uh, post up uh, as the MLA. I, I'm, I'm not allowed to spend five bucks to, to boost that post because that would be an illegal expenditure wow. uh, during this campaign period. So it requires just a heck of a lot of, uh, of small meetings, one-on-ones, uh, you know, using social media to the maximum extent extent that we can, uh, and uh, and encouraging people to uh, to uh, also step up and educate themselves through this process. Okay, uh, and maybe this speaks a little bit to uh, Mr. Wilkinson, of course, issued that debate challenge to the Premier, who has responded with, well, I'm not yes, I'm not no, we'll see what happens kind of thing. But uh, I, I'm aware of the sort of the politics at play, but I think from an awareness perspective, I think you can make a pretty good argument that, that maybe a debate like that might help out. 
Oh, I think a debate like that would absolutely help out. There's, there's a, uh, th- there is clearly an appetite that is building uh, amongst the public for information. People want to know what this is all about. What does it mean? What are the pros? What are the cons? Uh, there is no uh, higher profile opportunity to address uh, British Columbians in their living rooms uh, at, at prime time than to have the Premier of the province and the Leader of the Opposition. Uh, heck, even even you know Andrew Weaver, uh, if, if that was a requirement, uh, Andrew Wilkinson has said, bring it on. Uh, you know, we need to, to a, a, a raise the awareness of this referendum taking place. And I think a, a, a debate between uh, certainly uh, uh, Horgan and Wilkinson would uh, would go a long ways to uh, to helping raise that awareness. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, we'll have to see how that happens. Uh, a couple of other issues, because we're our, tight, our time tight here, but on the rental side, uh, you made uh, a point to sort of crapping all over what the NDP did on capping it at 2.5%, was 4.5% tying the uh, formula to inflation. Uh, basically, and correct me if I'm wrong, your point is it kind of kneecaps landlords uh, as well as uh, may affect uh, overall housing stock. But how do you, uh, other than supply, which is the obvious kind of issue here, but how do you how do you address that? Because I think you could make an argument, listen, landlords are charging sky high rent, rents up over the decade, like an insane amount. Uh, so I don't think too many people are feeling sorry for landlords these days, and renters are getting squeezed out of their minds. So other than supply, how do you deal with that? Well, uh, you know, missing in action in the announcement was uh, any any mention of the renters' rebate. Uh, you know that was a commitment that that John Horgan and the NDP made. But even four hundred dollars, four hundred dollars a month. Uh, you know, is that the best way to to alleviate uh, you know some of the costs for renters? Uh, p- perhaps, perhaps not. But uh, that 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 commitment is missing in action. I think the the political imperative here for the NDP was to do something. Uh, I think that uh, the, the the measure that they've undertaken uh, with this maximum allowable rent uh, increase and capping it at at uh, at inflation uh, is the wrong move, and I think it, it will prove over a short period of time to uh, to actually have the inverse effect of what it was intended. Uh, we are hearing now daily uh, from uh, developers and landlords around the province that uh, this is going to make it excruciatingly difficult for them to actually do the maintenance that's required, particularly on older buildings in Metro Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, but more to the point, they're, they're not going to build any more stock. There, there is no financial incentive whatsoever to actually uh, to, to bring additional market rental uh, supply in into the market. We just have to look south of the border to Seattle to see how it, you know measures that actually have worked, where they've uh, the, the local governments, the state governments have have all come together and they've put a package of uh, of, of incentives on the table. Uh, you know, expedited densification and zoning uh, changes, uh, expedited approvals, uh, um, reduced to community amenity fees and development cost charges, uh, and some other tax tax incentives to encourage uh, and incent the construction of market rental uh, supply. Uh, and now we're seeing rents actually uh, coming down in Seattle. Uh, why? Because supply has, has, uh, has dramatically increased. Because people are increased. leaving to illegally cross the border. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't... I, haven't, I gotta get out! <laughs> <laughs> well, fair enough. That's a whole other show, uh, Shane. But, uh, you know, I think, I, think, I think the answer is predominantly on the supply side. Uh, and for whatever reason, this NDP government does not want to talk supply. Everything that they do is demand side. It's all about whacking uh, landlords over the head. Uh, it, it, it's all about taking punitive uh, tax measures and, and whatnot. Uh, the speculation tax, the school tax, all this stuff is uh, is is driving investment out of the province, and it's it's encouraging people who have the wherewithal to actually build stock and bring supply onto the market. It's encouraging them not to do so, and that ultimately is is uh, to the detriment of of renters and homeowners alike. Legislature sits again uh, next week. 
for a fall sitting uh, priority list for you. There's some intriguing possibilities there around the speculation tax and maybe alignment with the Greens and some amendments. I don't know. Uh, but uh, what's on your priority list? Well, certainly the, the speculation tax, uh, uh, you know, we'd like to see it go, uh, be, 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 you know, re- eliminated <laughs> But that's entirely. not going to happen. Uh, that, that's likely not going to happen. But, uh, you know, if, if the Green Party is actually serious about uh, collaborating with us and working with us on on uh, making that situation better, uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it. They've, they, the Green Party has voted 100% of the time with the NDP. Um, I even moved amendments to the Local Finance Act, uh, taking language right out of the Green Party platform, uh, and they voted against that. Uh, so I, I will believe it when I see it. Uh, I think uh, the LNG file will be interesting uh, to see yeah. if there is a final investment decision and exactly what that looks like and what package uh, the NDP bring forward uh, for approval in the legislature. Uh, ride hailing, we we hear that there there may be legislation forthcoming. I've told you previously, the legislation was all drafted under our government and and was ready to go. Uh, these delays are uh, are are, um, are are ridiculous. Uh, so we'll see that. And on a local note, uh, if I if I can end on this note, uh, school capital uh, is something that uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to continue to to champion and advocate uh, advocate for. Uh, we've got schools bursting at the seams now in uh, school district 73. Uh, so I hope to have some conversations with uh, with uh, Minister Rob Fleming. Uh, to make sure that uh, we uh, we are, uh, can look forward to hopefully a, a positive yeah. uh, capital announcement in the not too distant future. Yeah, I hear Valley View might come in early in the new year, but uh, we need more than well, that. Well, let's uh, we, we're all going to have to work together. Uh, you know, take the partisan politics out of this and just get uh, get on with it. We uh, our kids uh, need need uh, some additional space here in in SD seventy three. Uh, really quick because we're just out of time. But uh, liberals yourself, are you going to vote for whatever the LNG? Delio is or, or no? I'm going to ta- wait and see what they actually bring forward. But I yeah. but I can say this: I, I've been a, a huge uh, supporter and, a, and an advocate for the LNG industry and and for the jobs and the opportunity that it represents for British Columbians. We spent the better part of six years, certainly four when I was there, uh, you know, creating the framework to welcome uh, the LNG industry to British Columbia. A 41 plus billion dollar investment, I would suggest, would be a very very good uh, a good day for all British Columbians. So we'll we'll see what that package looks like. Uh, but uh, I. They bring it on. Still waiting for debt-free BC. But anyway, <laughs> Todd, thanks, man. Appreciate you coming in. Thanks, Shane. There we go. Uh, that's it for today's version of Inside Politics. We'll see you here on Radio NL next week. 106.7 Logan Lake, 98.1 Blue River, 97.5 Avola. From CHNL in Kamloops, this is Radio NL 610 AM. Local News Now.